Scripture and Reason, discussing life and Jesus' church in our age. Well, I wish I could say that I coined this phrase, and I just heard it the other day. It might have been MacArthur. I'll give it so, to you. Uh, <laughs> I don't want John MacArthur calling me and saying, God's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he just yeah. keeps calling all the time right. anyway. You yeah, know, hey, can you help me with yeah, this sermon study? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any content. And so we're talking about the sovereignty of God. Yep, a subject that gets a lot of people twisted up. Yeah. And um a lot of misunderstandings. A lot of misunderstandings. And 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 I was kind of thinking about this um looking over, you know, passages and um I think well first of all, I guess we need to define define some terms here. Um that'll be good. But I think what happens often with the conversation about the sovereignty of God is Strangely, it doesn't start with God, and I think a lot of times that's the problem. Ah, yeah, that's probably a pretty good, uh, a, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say I would agree with that. Perhaps, uh, for example, I think one of the simplest ones we get, we'll pull it from Scripture right out of the gate, uh, understanding that we are going to deal fully and completely with this in 26 minutes? Probably mm-hmm. not, but we Exhausted. might. this might go one or more. Concept uh, is going to hobble off, yes, and tired and worn out. But uh, Psalm one thirty five six it says, "Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps." Yeah, it's it's funny. I in looking at passages, I, I wonder how many we're going to have that completely overlap. Uh, um, I, I started with the concept that God is lofty. Mm. And and so um, Daniel four thirty five, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, "What have you done?" Yeah, I have it right here. Did you grab that as yeah. well? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So so you know, to people who start the conversation about the sovereignty of God from the pers- from a human perspective are already going to miss the sovereignty of God because the sovereignty of God is literally not that. Correct. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point right there and uh, and hopefully we will not get in the weeds on this, but that is the probably the single biggest problem is they take the idea of the sovereignty from God from a human viewpoint they're inadvertently or perhaps purposely putting man above god and then judging god by his actions uh i was just listening to uh, driving i was just listening to some of the uh the institutes of the christian religion by john calvin and where he speaks with regard to this he said that's one of the one of the one of the biggest problems here is questioning god's will you know, whereas man puts himself in God's place to question the will of God, right? I, I think sovereignty is, frankly, an easy subject. Right. It, it's because, okay, so I'll make a point. Um, I won't name my friend. I'll call him he who shall not be named. Go ahead. Um, but he who shall not be named one time said um, something. I forget the context. I forget everything except for the phrase that I laughed at him for. He said, that makes God more robustly sovereign. And I was like, man, that sounds really neat. Um, you could probably write a book titled that, uh, and a lot of people would buy it. Oh, absolutely. It would be a great... I could tell you the types of uh, 
church leaders that would write the book like that mm. and who would buy it. Yeah, frankly, probably 99% yes. of them, unfortunately. Um, but it doesn't mean anything because it misunderstands sovereignty. Correct. I mean, think about the pictures we, we get of God. We uh, The pictures of God on... Perhaps one of the, be- the best things that, that, that came out of the study for, with, uh, for this subject was the idea of God and his throne. That God being on the throne is where he's at. I mean, that is the picture of God's sovereignty, right? There is nothing above the throne of God. Nothing beyond the throne of God. That sits at the highest apex. And everything that comes from that throne flows downward. Uh, through us. There is no man above that throne. Right. And I think um, th- there was a book. There's there. Well, there still is, actually. It turns yeah. out books don't go away after yeah. I read them. So uh, it, it's called The Forgotten Trinity. Yes. Uh, isn't that uh, Francis Chan? <laughs> it is not. It's James White. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that was just a little joke. Francis Chan, yeah. who for the first time is yes. thinking about uh, communion and what right. that might be. What that might be. Yes. A 30 year career yeah. of pastoring. Yes. Interesting. Um, in this book, I think James White made a really great point, um, and and it's it's effectively it's about the concept of accommodation that all of Scripture is an accommodation. Um, God, by His grace, gave us language, and through language, com- communicate communicates about Himself. So He, a holy God, tells us who He is about Himself through language. So it accommodates us. And the illustration that James White gave, which I borrow from so frequently, is it's like telling a toddler what a graham cracker might taste like. Right. Because, you know, they've got no database of knowledge, really. So you're using language to describe something and it's not wrong, but it's in some ways imperfect. So you say maybe it's crunchy and maybe it's sweet because they understand those things. And so sovereignty, by that same point, you know, I just I quickly here uh, did a, a, a search for the definition of sovereignty, and, and and I think I'm jumping right to the problem. Go ahead. We understand sovereignty through the way the word is now used. Um, sovereignty is the full right and power of a governing body over itself. Hmm. So the full right and power of a governing body over itself. So we think of, you know, governmental power. Correct. Which is wishy-washy. Yep. Um, Especially because we live in a society where we're democratically or uh, democratically elected, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better term, understanding that we're actually a republic and so forth. We are representatives, all it's that like sort of stuff. Us. But it's not. We we have n- no real concept of kingship here. Us, the electoral college, marketing, and apparently Russia. Right. <laughs> it's like the, right. the 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 trifecta. Um, I actually saw that type of power play out once. I'll leave out some of the background, but uh, I was on a a reservation one time, tribal reservation in New Mexico, um, and watched the tribal police wave off a civilian police helicopter, or not civilian, but, you know, a a city or whatever state uh, helicopter from the call that they were on for some folks. Yeah. Sovereignty. So if we had the, the... So that definition does not really encompass uh, what God is. I think we, when we look more to Scripture and see it, you know, we did one Psalm one thirty one thirty five. You pulled out of Daniel Psalm one fifteen three says, "But our God is in the heavens; He does whatever He pleases." 
Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish, will accomplish all my good pleasure. The I, Romans 9.19 through 21, you will say to me then, why does he, God, still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God, the thing molded? will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? You know, those images of who God is as creator, it's not like anything is a surprise to God, correct? Yeah, and take it back to Genesis and the recapitulation of creation. Go ahead. How did God make Adam? Of the dust of the ground. Right. Formed him into the shape of a man, yep. blew into his nostrils, animating and giving him life, potter and clay. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what Paul is drawing. On. Oh, absolutely, he has to be. You know, so this this idea, because when we talk about God's sovereignty, then then obviously it means the God's uh, sovereign will to save whom He wishes to save. Isaiah forty twenty five through twenty eight. Go. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so I think these these scriptures that we're pulling from, when our heart starts to lean towards a softening of God's sovereignty, and, and, and by the way, sovereignty is binary. It's offer on, it is or it isn't. It is not by degrees. Right. God's you either sovereignty, are or you're not. It's complete. There's no such thing as a, a nuanced sovereignty. That's not sovereignty. That's like kind of powerful. Right. And, and God is not described as kind of powerful. He's described as completely sovereign. And so I think it's a much shorter conversation when you start with Scripture and say, how has God described himself? Has he described himself as sovereign? If he has, then there's that's it. Right. So yet another time it comes down to the same question. What is scripture? Is it authoritative? Well, that's right. It is authoritative. It's the infallible and inerrant word of God. And therein lies, uh, I guess, lies the rub. Because if you were to do a poll, I think they say less than 10% of Protestant evangelicals believe that that scripture is the infallible and inerrant word of God. They, they, they put some caveats over that. Yeah, and with that, without that, then you're just in the Rotary Club. Absolutely. I mean, think about this from Isaiah forty twenty two. It says, It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. I mean, this is the this is the image of who God is. Like like grasshoppers is what what now, this is not meant to be derogatory to man, but is meant to, because we are made in the image of God, but but meant to describe God and man in the proper perspective. Positionally. Right. We don't have a full knowledge of God's will. So when we start with us, 
then we're wrong. Correct. So when someone says, um, God, you see, I, I just made my voice softer. Just yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or heard that. God hates the sin, mm. but he loves the sinner. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, I mean that's a, that is one of those one of those know? things that goes on that is painted on walls and houses. Mm. John three sixteen. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's read it. Let, go I ahead, happen to be there. please. Mm. Okay, but I hope you continue beyond three sixteen. What? Yeah. Is it, I thought that Context was the end. Of, yeah. I thought that was the end of chapter three. No, was verse sixteen. Please continue. Oh wow, it goes on. Well, maybe we'll read it. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send, excuse me, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were kind of bad, because their works were not good, but kind of because their works were evil, evil, And, and their works are loving the darkness, right, more than the light, the light. Being the light of Christ, the truth right. of God. Well, he came into the world. The darkness the world being it. not that. Falling yeah. after their own way. There's a way that seems right to a man. Ah, boy, and if you dovetailed on that, you'd say the way that seems right to a man is that we should be able to question God and his ways and what he has done. But the scripture clearly says his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. This is God's creation of which he will, he will bring about, he will bring about the new order, the new heaven and the earth, salvation for those he chooses for his glorification, not for man's glorification. I was, of course, the smartest person in Bible college. Uh, understandably. Right. And um, I remember having some conversation with other students about uh, original language, which is, of course, important to the Bible college student. Yes. Um, fully referenced with Strong's numbers, I'm sure on the love that only God has mm-hmm. in Koine Greek. Yeah, please continue. Except I was, it was pointed out to me that I, I was not correct. Um, in John 3, let's see, is it 19? Yep, John three nineteen, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Word under loved there is almost exclusively used to describe God's love, most powerful, strongest kind of love. Um, except for this instance right here, where it's not used of God, it's used to describe the way creation loves darkness with a wholeness and a completeness. I thought we might be able to avoid this until we got perhaps into the second podcast, but we might as well dive into this right now because we're dealing with human problems. Uh, one of the things I like to talk to people about is, uh, uh, especially when we talk about the imputed sinful nature that comes from Adam, 
is one thing we I think we always have to keep in mind is that Adam and understand that we're talking about Adam and Eve, but rather than doing that every single time, Adam is the federal head of man, right? Uh, at you know, Eve uh, Eve sought leadership from Adam. Adam sought leadership from God. So forth, so on. <clears throat> but Adam is the federal head of mankind. Adam was not like us at creation. Correct. He had no Adam, belly button. <laughs> right. But Adam had the ability to. Adam had the ability to sin, and he also had the ability to not sin prior to the fall. Right. After the fall, we no longer have that ability to not sin. That curses on the earth. Right. This is the, this is part of our nature. When you go to <clears throat> those passages in John that you read, I mean, that speaks to the nature of man. Sin is in our nature, like. And we are free to act within that nature. And exclusively. Exclusively in that nature. We cannot act outside of that nature. Right. And, and and it goes back to the who Our is nature. God. Right? right? It goes back to who is God. If God is creator, mm-hmm. I am creature. Correct. I have my free will, and we're, this, is, this is what we're banging around at. Yep. And, and this is where sovereignty falls off the rails. People start from a human-centric perspective and talk about their free will. Correct. Um, I'm free to do whatever I want. I have a free will. And you are 100% free to do whatever you, whatever you want within mm. your nature. Yeah. And your nature is consumed and controlled by sin. Yeah, and I would step even even a step beyond that. I'm free to do anything within my will. I'm free to do anything within the limits of God's creation. And I am free to do anything within the limits of God's will. And as soon right. as that limit stops, my freedom will also stop. Correct. Yeah, I agree with that. You have, <clears throat> and this is where people get all twisted up, you know, with that free will, because people think that they have, um, and the, the term for it is just escaping me, they, they think that they have the ability to make choices outside of their nature, that they can somehow make an absolutely uh, un, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unencumbered? Not unencumbered. Uh, Translucent? No. Chartreuse? Oh, <laughs> uh, probably the best color of lure when you're fishing. Uh, no, they're, 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 they think that they can make an objective decision towards something outside of their nature, unaffected by their own nature, which is impossible to do. Well, there's a math equation in Scripture. Go ahead. Uh, none seeks after God. No, and then, yeah, and then, and then there comes the reminder. In case right. you got confused, was that like illustrative kinds of? No, not one. Right, that's right. And we forget that. Right, we think that it is uh, that because of this curse that is upon man, this sinfulness that is upon creation, because of the fall of Adam, we can no, we are, we can no longer choose to not be sinful right we can have moments when we don't sin but our nature is of sin right like you said no one seeks god no not one we are free to act within the confines of our nature but we cannot act in opposition to our nature but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us it's written to believers even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us 
alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So the, the, the act of salvation is while we are dead, inanimate, right. incapable of moving or choosing. He saved us by his grace. So here's the thing. We don't have the agency to change ourselves in our nature. Right. We don't have the ability to do that. It has to come from outside of us to change that nature that's within us. Yep. Because none seeks after God. No, not one. And so when you do seek after God, then you go to Ephesians 2, 9. Which says... Even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And that can only be true if he's sovereign because he violates our will. Right. My will is against him. My will is, as John 3.19 says, loving with the only instance where that word for love is used of people, loving the darkness rather than the light. And so it's graceful that God violates my creaturely free will to repoint me in a saving place. Right, because God is doing this for his glorification, not for man's glorification, although we are the recipients because he glorifies us. Uh, Romans uh, 3, 9, which we have spoken of, I believe, a little bit before. What then, it says, Paul speaking, are we better than they, not not at all, for we have already been charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. 11, there is none who understands, there is no one who seeks for God. 12, all have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. 13, their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison asps is under the poison of asps is under their lips. And it goes on continually to describe the state of man. And herein touches on that issue. We believe that our we can choose a neutral position in our lives. We have a higher belief in our free will than we actually have because we don't because of the sinful nature that's within us. Man is not morally neutral, rather because we are in in bondage to sin without divine grace to choose, that God gives us to choose his ways, we can't do it. We will consistently and frequently and always at most times reject God and his ways without his action upon us, right? Because we don't live in a neutral state. The bondage of sin that's on our lives affects everything that we do. Yeah. It is a darkness over us. And I think that's why I think that this topic of the sovereignty of God is is almost given, I don't know if I I guess I'll say almost given too much attention Mm -hmm. because it's not a question of that. And and it's, it's, it's not a matter of debate. Oh, well, what about this subtle point? What about that subtle point? It's the question is, does scripture describe God as sovereign? And if sovereignty is a binary choice, then he is or isn't. There are no subtleties. There are no nuances. Sovereignty can't be by degrees. Right. The real problem is us and our problem. It's almost like we love the darkness more than we love the light. I wish scripture would tell us that. If if only. We had a book that would tell us the way we really are. If only (laughs) we would be informed about our own nature somehow. How about we flip to Ephesians 2, chapter 1. 
Ephesians 2, chapter 1. Ephesians, one of my favorite epistles. Chapter 1, starting in chapter 1, uh, excuse me, starting uh, Ephesians 2, starting in ch- verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, and among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging, indulging the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Right. This is our. This is the state prior to God. Right. Coming into that desperately wicked heart described in Jeremiah seventeen nine. Right. Who can understand it? Only God can under, understand the heart of man. We can't possibly understand everything that is going on in our hearts and those things that, that are there. It says that, that Paul, speaking even of himself, was like this prior to God working upon him, coming into his life, right? Yep. I mean, God enacting his sovereignty over the creation to bring about his will in the creation that he desires. Yeah, like I said, I don't even, I mean, I, so, I believe that evidentiary, evidentiary apologetics is helpful. Do I believe it's helpful for salvation? Not necessarily. I think it's more helpful for the believer to come to deeper understanding. I think it could be a part of someone's salvation. It's certainly not necessary. Correct. Um. But again, this becomes an evidentiary kind of conversation. Yeah, and I would, and coming from the point where I was all about evidentiary uh, apologetics for a long period of time, and realized that, well, that's probably not. It's it's interesting, and you can have some interesting philosophical conversation with regard to that. But in reality, uh, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Correct. It's academic. Excellent. Absolutely. Romans nine sixteen. Go. So then. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. All right, so we're going to go there. Uh, Here we go. Since our nature... Right. Notice what God says He's going to do there. Right. It. It. it what. What happens with Pharaoh is not against Pharaoh's nation, nature. Right. Pharaoh is working entirely within his, the confines of his nature. Okay. Therefore, Pharaoh is responsible for his actions. Right. God is not the author of sin. Because God is not sinful, but God allows that sin will exist to bring about the his will, right? He allows that sin will exist to bring about his will. Because of the curse that's on man, man is responsible for the sinful behavior that they do. He is not irresponsible because man is free in his choices within regard to his nature. God does not coerce a man to sin. Man naturally chooses sin and chooses those things that are not of God. So therefore, man is responsible for his actions, right? He can't push that off like God, like like Adam and Eve tried to do. You know, Adam trying to push off the sin nature onto the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. No, it's your fault, Adam, because you chose 
this thing within your nature you chose this rather than to be obedient and again to me this is all academic it all comes down to the same question which was the original sin in the garden did god say and do you believe it or do you think it's packed with ill motive right and then we would go back to the way back when we started this conversation is it the infallible and errant word of god that we're studying that teaches us about god and his character or is it something that we just like to pick and choose things that make us feel okay or things that we can say that will try to absolve us of any guilt feelings that we have about our behavior? Yeah. And and rather than continue to have a conversation about sovereignty, I would honestly rather pivot to the word of God. Because, you know, Satan right. enters into the garden, says to Adam and to Eve, did God really say he's withholding good from you? So to the person who would argue God's sovereignty by their right to choose, I'm like, okay, fine. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Okay, if you do, trust it and believe it. Correct. It, it, I mean, it, or resist. I mean, but wh- why is that on God? And then that goes back to the, the scripture you quoted, that spiritual things are spiritually perceived, right? So we recognize it as God's word as the spirit works upon us, right? Prior to prior to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, prior to believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, it was just a book with that I could pick and choose. There were some interesting stories, some of the things I didn't believe is strange or whatnot like that. But when those things start working on you, when the Holy Spirit is within you, then all of a sudden you see more and more and more the truthful nature that it is God's word, that it can only be from God that these words come. Yeah. Let me make an intensely imperfect illustration um, of what evidentiary apologetics or um, just just academically discussing the sovereignty of God, right? Okay. Um, take, I don't know, I'll just say take a fighter, right? You, you can sit down and have a conversation about... Um, what is it? What was it? Mike Tyson quote? He said, "Everybody has a plan until they get punched, punched in, the in the face." face. Yep. Um, if you're going to go box with Mike Tyson, um, and you want to learn to avoid his hands, you, you may want to actually get hit by somebody with a heavy blow, not just kind of tapped around in some light sparring, right. because it doesn't prepare you enough. Now, right. that's imperfect, but the words of Scripture are cutting. Yes, they're very cutting and straight to the point. They divide. It's almost as though. They divide between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, that they plunge to the depths, that they get to the core, that they cut you. Hebrews 4.12 for our listening audience. <laughs> um, and so I think when we start to describe these things away softly, we take away the edge that is meant to offend. Oh, yeah. Because it, 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 it yeah, so it, it's offensive to our autonomy, our self-law, our self-rule, which is not God's way. And here's a question. Go. Maybe it's supposed to be. <laughs> Correct. Because when I'm offended, maybe I react a little different. Now, am I? Now, we are supposed to be winsome. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. Uh, but that doesn't mean when God says, I'm sovereign, who are you, oh man, to question me? It doesn't mean that we then engage with questioning God with people, that we have interesting academic conversations. Maybe we just say, actually, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I think he can do what he wills. Correct. Yeah. And, and we negate our bondage to sin 
and don't acknowledge the sinfulness in our lives that 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 affects the decisions that we have right that that when we have these conversations about God's sovereignty i mean it is it is very difficult for us to put ourselves aside and mm. not put ourselves in the place of god that's because we love the darkness not the light correct the light being the truth the holagos yes so i i'm, I'm happy to leave the conversation of sovereignty here we may do another episode it will probably come up in other conversations so john where do we where do we go from here well, I th- I agree with you. I think we can leave the, leave the conversation here. I don't think we got uh, into the weeds too far. We covered a lot of topics in a short period, a lot of issues with regard to God's sovereignty, free will, man, so forth and so on, in a short period of time. Understanding that there are many, many volumes that have been written about these exact subjects. Uh, right now, I think, what is our next subject that we're going to? God and the issue of evil? Yes. The Odyssey is the... Mm-hmm. The fancy term for us, God and the issue of evil, which naturally will come back to God's sovereignty, too, in regard to that. Looking and forward I to think that's all we have. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any content.